Bogleheads Live is our ongoing Twitter space series where the do-it-yourself investor community asks their questions to financial experts live on Twitter. You can ask your questions by joining us for the next Twitter space. Get the dates and times for the next Bogleheads Live by following the John C. Bogle Center for Financial Literacy on Twitter. That's at Bogleheads. For those that can't make the live events, episodes are recorded and turned into a podcast. This is that podcast. Thank you for joining us for the 33rd Bogleheads Live, where the do-it-yourself investor community asks questions to financial experts live. My name is John Luskin, and I'm your host. Our guest for today is Colleen Giaconetti, returning for her second time on Bogleheads Live. Let's start by talking about the Bogleheads, a community of investors who believe in keeping it simple, following a small number of tried-and-true investing principles. This episode of Bogleheads Live, as with all episodes, is brought to you by the John C. Bogle Center for Financial Literacy, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people make better financial decisions. Visit our newly designed website at boglecenter.net to find valuable information and to make a tax-deductible donation. Before we get started on today's show, a disclaimer. This is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for tax investment, or other financial planning decisions. Let's get started on today's show with Colleen Giaconetti. Colleen Giaconetti is a senior investment professional at Vanguard with 20 years of experience, including financial planning, with a specific focus on after-tax wealth management, retirement income, portfolio construction, advice methodology, and model portfolios. She created original Vanguard thought leadership on such topics as tax-efficient drawdowns, dynamic spending, asset location, total return investing, and today's topic, rebalancing. Speaking of total return investing, you can listen to the 26th episode of Bogleheads Live, where Colleen demystifies dividend investing, debunking that popular but suboptimal investing approach. I'll link to that in the show notes for our podcast listeners. Colleen Jack and Eddie, thank you for joining us on today's Bogleheads Live. Let's start with a little bit of rebalancing 101. What is rebalancing and why should we rebalance a portfolio? If you're thinking about from a financial planning perspective, one of the first things that people would do would be to select an asset allocation. So that would be the percentage that they would invest in stocks, bonds, or cash. And that would be based on their time horizon, their risk tolerance, and their goals. And the reason why asset allocation is important because it really determines the risk and return profile for a given portfolio. Over time, different investments in the portfolio will produce different returns. As a result, the portfolio will likely drift from its target asset allocation, say it was 50% stocks, 50% bonds. It could drift to 55% stocks or 60% or more in stocks. In order to restore the portfolio's risk and return characteristics to what the individual is comfortable with, they would rebalance the portfolio, meaning they would sell those asset classes that have outperformed and they reinvest the proceeds into those assets that have underperformed. Say seven out of 10 years stocks outperform bonds. In theory, you would be selling stocks and reinvesting the proceeds into bonds. That's kind of what rebalancing is. The goal of rebalancing is to minimize risk relative to a target asset allocation. It's not maximizing returns. If an investor is looking to maximize returns, they would certainly maybe not have bonds in the portfolio, right? They might allocate the portfolio 100% to equities. The reason why you add bonds to the portfolio is to help mitigate the downside risk on the equity side. I think the most important part is figure out what asset allocation an investor can stick with the best and worst of markets. And then through time, rebalance or restore that asset allocation 
so that the portfolio doesn't become more risky than an investor's comfortable I'm going to make Frank a speaker to ask his question. What is the most efficient way of rebalancing a time rebalance, meaning quarterly, semi-annually, or annually, or a target rebalance? We actually did a lot of research on this. So we looked at it, if you did time only, monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, annually, or threshold only. So say you are deviate from that allocation by 1%, 5%, 10%. And what we found was there's no really clear advantage as far as maintaining a risk and return characteristics. The most clear advantage is when you compare those rebalanced to portfolios that were never rebalanced. I wouldn't say that there's one optimal way to look at it. What we have come to as a general guideline would be a combination of the two. To look at the portfolio on a semi-annual or annual basis and then rebalance the portfolio when it's 5% or more away from the target. Because the reason why is there's costs to rebalancing. The most important thing is to factor in what those rebalancing costs could or would be and then try to minimize those costs if you can. And that answered a related question from user named Starboy from the Bogus Forums who asks, how often should you rebalance? Let's jump to another audience question. This one is from David. I have been looking at life strategy funds at Vanguard for a number of years. I was wondering if a life strategy fund that does rebalance over time, is it a given that you want to hold that in a tax-advantaged When you're thinking about, would you hold a life strategy fund in a taxable account or not? That kind of comes down to asset location. For investors who are in higher tax brackets, it would be definitely preferred to hold a life strategy fund in a tax advantage account, so tax deferred or tax free, because of the taxable bonds. You could do it two different ways. From an asset location perspective, if you have sufficient assets, you could break up those allocations and not hold the life strategy fund and hold the individual bond funds in tax advantage accounts and the equities in taxable accounts. If you're in a high tax bracket and you want to hold a life strategy fund, then I definitely would not hold that in a taxable account, right? Because there will be taxable bond income there that you could avoid by holding in tax advantage accounts. Colleen, as a follow-up to that, with respect to holding those taxable balanced mutual funds in a taxable account, are capital gain distributions also an issue in the decision to hold a mutual fund in a taxable account? Yes, absolutely. So it kind of depends on the type of equities you're holding out there. Bonds typically don't give off a lot of capital gains. Usually capital gains would come from equities. If you're holding index equities, they are usually fairly tax efficient, so they do not give off a lot of gains. And when they do give off gains, they would be more longer-term capital gain. What you would want to specifically avoid in taxable accounts is investments that either give off a lot of long-term capital gains or significant short-term capital gains, because those short-term capital gains are taxed at ordinary income tax rates which can be twice as high as the capital gains rates. If you're holding, say, more of like a Wellington fund or a Wellesley fund in a taxable account, you could keep an eye out on whether you're getting substantial capital gain distributions on the active piece. And if you are, then obviously holding those in a tax advantage account would likely be preferred. This question is from username Gap from the Vocalized Forums, who writes, if you leave out all the touchy-feely stuff about comfort with risk and volatility, is there a benefit to rebalancing? Does it actually improve anything? And a related question from username ER999 for the long-term investor with 20 years plus as their investment horizon, is a bond allocation expected to improve returns or just reduce volatility? The primary purpose of bonds in a portfolio is to dampen the volatility of equities and help people maintain 
their asset allocation through time. If you are not worried about risk and you're comfortable with the downside potential of equities, you wouldn't really need to invest in bonds. You're investing in bonds as a way to still make money or have a return on your portfolio without taking on the risk that you would take on in stocks. But if your goal is to maximize returns, then most likely would be 100% equity. If you would like some downside protection, especially when the stock markets are not doing well, usually bonds provide that ballast for the portfolio. I think implied in this question is that you've got a perhaps all U.S. stock portfolio, and that ignores the consideration that, hey, if we're investing globally, we're going to have both U.S. and international. And there could be an opportunity to rebalance between those two different types of stock funds. Oh, absolutely. When you, we talk about rebalancing, when we've done our tests on rebalancing, we usually don't have a threshold at the sub-asset class level, so between like U.S. and our national. But if we did hit the 5% threshold, then we would take the allocations back to the original target. If you were targeting 100% equity portfolio, 60% U.S. and 40% international, certainly if your allocation to U.S. got well beyond the 60% and you were not comfortable with that, you could certainly pair it back. So it's certainly your preference whether you would want to go back or not, but it's definitely certain I would consider looking at maybe when you were 5% or more out of balance. I'm going to make John a speaker. I read some research from Michael Kaitzis that I think he says maybe even looking as often as every week or every two weeks to see if anything has gotten out of balance and then using that information to decide where to put more money. I just wanted to get your opinion on how often do you think people should look? If you have cash flow that you're trying to put to work, that may be a case where you look at it more frequently, but we really didn't find a meaningful difference in risk or return, whether we looked at it daily, monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, or annually. I would say the things that would happen in those times, if the more frequently you look at it, is an increase in the number of rebalancing events, which could also be an increase in some of the costs. And another thing I would think about when you're doing it a little bit too frequently is you don't want to be doing it in reaction to what's going with the market. Sometimes it is hard when stocks are doing very well to rebalance out of stocks and then put it into bonds. Or sometimes when they're not doing very well, it's hard. It's really just trying to have a disciplined approach and follow that approach. Weekly is a bit too frequent because I think it makes people be a little more prone to trying to time the market or try to guess which direction things are going. And as you know, days are clustered when the markets are doing well and then when the markets are not doing well. There's been research around them being clustered. If you miss the 10 best days and or the 10 worst days, it has a significant impact on the portfolio. So I would say at the most frequent would be monthly, but I really don't even think we kind of recommend semi-annually or annually, and then only if it's out of balance on more than 5%. And to that 5% point, if you have a lot of different asset classes, say you have the asset class is only 5% of your portfolio, waiting until it's 5% out of balance would be pretty substantial, either up or complete loss. Do you kind of dial that number based on the target size of the asset class? What we end up doing is the 5% is at the stock bond level. We don't really look at the underlying components, right? So it's only when stock bonds is out by five, but then we take everything back to the targets. And we've got Greg. My question was about the behavior of long-term treasuries in market crashes. In some prior crashes, like 2008, the long-term treasuries were up around 20%. For the investor who wants to maximize their return with maximizing risk, 
Is there any benefit to having some allocation to long-term treasuries or 100% stocks? It'd be best if they want to try to maximize return with maximum risk. I haven't looked at it whether an allocation to treasuries plus equities would provide a higher return than 100% equity allocation. I would say treasuries have been a proven diversifier in times when the stock market is underperforming. Obviously, it's not going to provide the same amount of return over the long run as maybe equities would be. We would generally have an allocation, say, like a total bond market. So you would have corporates, treasuries, and mortgages. And then we would typically say maintain the allocation of treasuries as that is the one area the market typically does well when the stock market's not doing well. I would have to look into it a little more, to be honest with you. If you said, hey, would a 20% long treasury allocation combined with total stock and total national stock allocation outperform over the long term? But I'm sure there would be shorter periods of time where it could outperform if the stock market's not doing well and treasuries are carrying the portfolio relative to 100% stock portfolio. But I would have to assume that over a long period of time, the 100% equity portfolio would most likely outperform given what's happened in the past. We had Bill Bernstein on episode eight of the Bogleheads live show, and we talked about a related question to just this, hey, what is that ideal maturity treasury I want to be holding in my portfolio? Dr. Bill Bernstein found in his research in the past, it's going to be somewhere between short and intermediate term, depending upon how much in stocks you're going to have in your portfolio. I looked at something similar with more recent data and came to a similar conclusion. Short-term treasuries is what you want to have. Generally, on average, historically, if you have a portfolio that's mostly bonds, but if you've got stocks, then intermediate term treasuries is what you want to consider. It's harder to make a case for those long term treasuries. For the certified financial planners in the audience, they can check out the XY Planning Network's CE presentation that I gave, which bonds are best, that talk a little bit about that. Colleen Giaconetti, any final thoughts on rebalancing before I let you go? You don't always have to rebalance back to the target asset allocation. It really depends primarily on rebalancing costs. So when the costs are mainly fixed and independent of the size of the trade, say the cost of time, rebalancing to the target allocation is, is probably optimal because it reduces the need for further transactions. But on the other hand, if trading costs are mainly proportional to the size of the trade, say commissions or taxes, something like that, rebalancing to the closest rebalancing boundary might be preferred. So if your 50-50 went to 58 you might want to only rebalance back to 55 if there's substantial costs such as taxes or commissions. If you have both types of costs, then you might want to rebalance to an intermediate point. I just think it's important that you don't always have to go back to the target if it would be very costly. Our research also showed that that would be just as preferential. Rebalancing is really to reduce risk as opposed to maximizing return. And over long periods of time, we've found it helps people stay invested. Thank you again so much for joining us. Really appreciate your insight and your wisdom today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you to Colin Giaconetti for joining us today. And thank you for everyone who joined us for today's Vogelheads Live. Next Vogelheads Live, Cameron Huddleston, award-winning journalist and author of Mom and Dad Would Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. For our podcast listeners, if you could take a moment to subscribe and to rate the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to Jeremy Zook for transcribing our podcast episodes. And thank you to Barry Barnett for all his work. I couldn't do it without their help. Finally, I'd love your feedback. If you have a comment or guest suggestion, tag your host. That's me, at John Luskin on Twitter. 
Thank you again, everyone. Look forward to seeing you all again next time. Until then, have a great one. 